0: and Ron. And I'm Dave Mitchell, and it's great to be able to worship together with you on this Sunday. Before I speak, I want to say something. And so if you would indulge me for just a moment, I want to follow up from some comments that I made last Sunday that were intended to clarify, but from the feedback that I get, they maybe tended to confuse. And so when you're a preacher, it's never a good thing. It's never a good thing. Two areas that I wanted to talk about just before we get into the Word of God. Number one is worship here at Calvary Church. I'm thankful for Justin, and Justin is here once a month just as a consultant to help us to kind of think about and stimulate ourselves as far as worship. Ron is going to continue to be our worship pastor. He is our worship pastor, and so we look forward to his leadership as God continues to work in that area. And we want to have this worship that really honors the Lord. If you'd like to learn more about what worship is here at Calvary Church, I sent an email out this last week. Every week I write an email, and every week I send out an email. I'm never sure how many people actually read it. But uh, if you're a Twitter fan, I apologize because it's more than 140 characters. But I encourage you to read it because it really, I believe, zeroes in on what this moment is all about, as we gather together as a church, if there's anything that's in a passion on my heart, is that God would season our hearts with what it really means to worship him, because everything you read about heaven is all about worshiping Jesus Christ, and how much better to be prepared here on earth, beyond what Jesus has done in our lives, that we would worship him in heaven, and let this be a little bit of heaven on earth for us. So that's part of uh, A. And then part B is my role here at Calvary Church. Uh, I said last week and had correctly said that I am continuing on here. I'm not leaving, although I had heard rumors uh, that I'm quitting or that I am retiring. I am not retiring. I have no plans to retire. And so I want to continue to serve the Lord. But as accurate as that is, it's incomplete. Because this last year I've said several times that we're still in the process of succession planning. And so, therefore, as the elders and I, and we meet together and we develop that plan, we are still seeing what that future would look like. And so, as a succession for someone in my role takes place, my role will change to a different role. But I will still be here. So, these are plans that are in place, and uh, we will be revealing them to you as the Lord uh, allows and as the Lord leads us into that area. So, hopefully, that can bring some clarity, a little bit less confusion, Maybe some questions, but we'll be answering those in the near future. Let's get into God's Word this morning. We're in Galatians chapter 5, and I encourage you to take a look at it. You have an outline that is available for you this morning. We're continuing through the book of Galatians, and uh, I encourage you to use that outline because it's going to be a lot more helpful as we go through it together. Today's passage is an amazing passage because it really zeroes in on some of the realities of life for us today. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5, and beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul, we're going through this book verse by verse, he says this, "'But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please.'" But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and here's this laundry list, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these. He says, I just can't list them all. So there's lots of other things, but he lists these items. The Spirit of God gave those items to him. And then he says this really daunting statement. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's throwing down the gauntlet. That's pretty serious stuff. That if those are the things that are in my life, he says, I warn you, people who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that puts a little bit of the fear of God in my own heart and perhaps for you as well. So let's break this down. Let's spend a little time discussing this together. We want to find victory in our spiritual battles. We are at war. There is a tension that is going on. And so we must acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle that we are in. It's not always easy. And so going back to the text that you see on the screens, there are these words. But I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. We have an opposition going on in our hearts. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. But we still live in a body that is fleshly, that has fleshly desires, that acts out of this old sinful nature. This body has not been redeemed. I mean, looking at me, you're probably saying, absolutely, Dave, your body has not been redeemed. There's a lot of things about my body that I don't like. And so I join you in reinforcing that. And just imagine what it looks like when I look out at you. Uh, but I'm kidding. Sort of. We have bodies that have not been redeemed. Romans 8 says the final redemption is where our bodies are redeemed. Our soul's redeemed. Much about our heart is redeemed. Our minds are getting redeemed. But our body, it's got a long ways to go. So our body have these passions, these desires, and they're in opposition. They're fighting against what the Spirit of God wants to do. And so this is the thing that Paul is trying to drill home. I summarize it in this way. The desires of your flesh are in opposition to the desires of the Holy Spirit. So you don't always do what's right. We all make mistakes. We all do wrong things. We all have outbursts of anger. We have these moments when we say, my goodness, I can't believe that came out of me, that's not who I am how many times you hear people say that's not who I am you're right the Spirit of God is battling against that we are in a spiritual battle why is that because when we're born we're born into sin David wrote in Psalm 51 5 behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me not that his mother committed sin by conceiving him but when he was conceived in that womb there was sin in that little body So when we are born, we're born with a sinful nature. None of us ever had to train our children to disobey, to throw temper tantrums. We didn't have to sit down and say, let me show you what a temper tantrum looks like. We never had to train them to do that. They come out naturally wanting to say no. They come out naturally wanting to be rebellious. We don't train for sinful natures. We train for spiritual transformation. And the Spirit of God gives us the power to make that happen. But not only are we born in sin, but our sinful nature, our flesh, it grows. Unless there is something done about it, the fleshly desires will grow. They will get worse. I go back to a passage that I've looked at before, and so as Peter would say, let me stir you up by way of reminder. I love this verse. Titus three three says, "For we also once were foolish ourselves. We used to be that way, where the flesh controls me completely." You know, when persons, when people are not followers of Jesus, there's no opposition. We act out in flesh and we just don't care. But once you receive Christ, then there's a battle. There's tension. Life does not get better. Sometimes it gets worse. So before we're saved, we once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Let me break down and show you a progression that I've shown you this before, so I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. If I put it in a little bit different form, it goes this way. Notice these four words Paul said, You're foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved before you receive Jesus. For we also once were foolish. The word foolish there means I don't know that certain things are wrong. Before I'm a Christian, there's a lot of stuff I'll do, and I didn't know God's word speaks to that issue, but God does. But what happens is that progresses to being disobedient. I learn what's wrong, and then I become disobedient. I know what's wrong, and I start doing it anyways. That's the progression of sin. It's like weeds. It'll keep on growing. And the progression continues on. Then I become deceived. Deceived is this progression of sin where I begin to rationalize my behavior. If you knew my circumstances the way uh, I do, you would understand why I am acting as I am. And so we begin to rationalize these things. And as that rationalization goes, I don't feel guilty so much anymore. I find that I have good reasons for why I do what I do that is wrong. And so I have somehow manipulated my mind to get to a point of guilt-free sinning. So it goes from this foolishness to disobedience to deception. And then here is the final straw. My sin, I am enslaved in it. I am addicted to it. It is what controls my life. When I become enslaved in something, it becomes normalized. This is just the who I am. I've had people say, I have a temper, I have an anger problem. That's just who I am. See, it's normalized. And God's saying, I, I don't want you to be that way. So the Spirit comes into our lives and the Spirit begins to do battle with these things. And my flesh wants me to still live in this zone. And the Spirit says, I want to break you free from that area. And maybe you're already down here enslaved. And the Spirit of God wants to oppose that. But my flesh says, no, that feels normal to me. Why are you making me change? There's this challenge of of this fleshly desire. And we sort of hang on to that flesh. You know, Joy and I have a niece. And she did this cutest thing when she was like three Her mother would say to her, now hold my hand, we're going to cross the street. And she would resist. She was rebellious. Sin nature at work. She didn't have to train her to be rebellious. She says, no, you need to hold my hand. It's not safe if you don't hold my hand when we cross the street. No, I'm not going to hold your hand, she said. And then she said this, this little three-year-old, I'm going to hold my own hands and then we can cross the street. Well, there are a lot of people that think, I can get over these things. I can get over those things, and I'll just hold my own hands. I'll just work harder at it. I'll just be better at it. I'll just muster up the strength and the will to do this. And then you keep on repeating it, and you keep going back to it, and you keep on deceiving yourself and enslave yourself and you feel like it's normal, and you resist everybody's teach. Your teachability factor goes way down. So God's saying, don't just hold on to your own hands and in your own flesh think you can get over this. I've got a solution for you. So the text goes on in this way. You can experience a new spiritual birth by the Spirit so that He'll give you victory over that flesh. Here's those next couple of verses. And I highlight the key phrase in the yellowish words. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the Spirit of God comes in, and He says, I want you to walk by the Spirit. The old metaphor of walking means it's it's steady, it's forward, it's progressive, it's developing, it's not run, it's not hurdle, but it's walk. It's the idea of a normal daily existence where the Spirit of God is leading me. Now, how do you do that? I put in the digging deeper. And this is why I hope you have it in your outline because I'm not going to take time to go through it all. But I wanted to show you at least four things that need to be occurring in our lives if we're going to be walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Number one... I begin by confessing the sins that I have in my life that grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. That's a beginning point where the Spirit of God finally is filling me. Secondly, I read, reflect, and apply God's Word, where the Word of God continues to teach me and and the Word of Christ indwells me. Thirdly, I grow intimate and learn about Jesus. I study His life. How did He handle these temptations? Matthew chapter 4 was the greatest temptation that has ever taken place in the history of the world. And he overcame the fleshly desires that Satan wanted to put upon him. And then fourthly, community of Christ. I gather together with other people who stimulate me to love and good deeds. Those things begin to take place and I walk by the Spirit, I'm led by the Spirit. And that's what God wants to do. Titus, continuing on where Paul says, I want you to know that you have been enslaved and deceived. He goes on to say this, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done, not holding our own hands to get saved, but He saved us, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes and makes me a different person. He begins to give me capacity and strength that I did not have. Many of you know this already. Whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the work of God makes this happen. It's not holding on my own hands, it's holding on the hand of God. Now let me try to illustrate this a little bit more to drive it home. No illustration is perfect. Every illustration has its flaws. Carried out to extreme, you'll find problems with them. So with that disclaimer. Here's my illustration. <laughs> These are two of my two-wheeled vehicles. This is my bicycle, and this would be my motorcycle. I love riding both of them. Now, let me illustrate flesh versus spirit. Riding a bicycle, where does the power come from? My legs, my heart, my body... And if I don't put everything I have into it, I won't go anywhere. Now, there are some people that are very good. When I ride my bicycle out on Santiago Canyon Road, there are people that I will pass, but there's many more people who pass me. And I'm not too proud to tell you that. And I'm going as hard as I can go. I'm pedaling as fast as I can pedal. And then these young guys will fly by me like I'm standing still. It drives me nuts. How can they go so fast? Here's my point. There are people that are, like the Tour de France, amazing in their ability, in their fleshly strength to do wonderful things. We're not saying people who live in the flesh never do anything good. There's so much that we know today. Science, technology, all these areas of medicine, that people in their flesh have great capacity of intellectual capacity. And so they pedal a lot faster than many of us who are a little confused about all that stuff. And in our own flesh, we can't do nearly as good as they do. But some people ride really fast. Some people ride really slow. But it's all flesh. So I'm not saying that people in the flesh don't do good things. They do. We've got to acknowledge that. But it only takes you so far. How would you like to ride your bike around the world? You think you're going to get there? No way. You're just going to burn out. You might get 100 miles, and you say, well, I need to take a break. This is just exhausting. Because people who live only in the flesh, they get exhausted trying to achieve. Now, let's go to the motorcycle. The motorcycle has two wheels. When you ride the motorcycle, where does the power come from? comes from the engine. Now that's a little bit closer to what Paul is talking about. The power for my life does not come from me. It comes from an external force that now is part of me. On a motorcycle, you better know how to run that thing. You better know where the gas and the brakes and the clutch. You better know how to do a quick U-turn if you need to. You better understand where all the dials and switches are and what they all mean. Better know how to balance yourself. You better know how to break it appropriately without crashing. You better know how to ride defensively when somebody's texting on their telephone and some idiot tries to cut you off, excuse me, and some wonderful person out there tries to cut you. You get my point. When you ride a motorcycle, there are rules of the road. When you live by the Holy Spirit, there are rules by the Spirit. But all the power comes from the spirit, like all the power comes from the engine. In fact, you might say that riding a motorcycle is a spirit-led life. (laughs) Sorry, just had to throw that in there. My email address is dmitchell at cavalrylife.org. But you get the difference. There is a difference between these two vehicles that you will move forward, but one is temporary And exhaustion. The other, you can keep going as long as you want. As long as you keep filling with gas. As long as you keep filling, I hate to (laughs) overdo this metaphor, but as long as you're filled by the Holy Spirit, man, He will give you capacity. And that's what Paul is driving us to. And then when that capacity comes on, we need to know that I will be attacked. If you're following Jesus, you're being attacked. God does not want you or me to succeed in what we're doing. And so Paul is bringing us to this point where we need to turn from those specific areas of attack. And we're going to talk about those in a moment. But let me set it up in this way. One of the things that I enjoy about uh, our staff, and as you can see with all the gears and everything that's up here, it's an incredible staff, greatly gifted. Mary Jane Edwards works with our preschoolers. And so those little guys, they're just as cute as could be. And uh, she uses this illustration. And I thought it was so good that at a preschool level, I would even understand it. And so maybe you would as well. What I have up here are some magnets. So you got two sets of magnets. And let's just say the bottom magnet down here, let's say that's God. That's the foundation. So God is here, and we want to draw close to God. And the problem is that sometimes, like magnets that are not turned the right way, you keep on trying to get close, and it's like I keep on resisting. It just, it's hard to be intimate. My, why is my spiritual life so dry? Why are there so many struggles? And I want to get close, but I keep on pushing back. I just can't get there. This is what Mary Jane teaches preschoolers. Isn't that wonderful? Great theology. And so as she teaches it, so we have learned it, that what you have to do is turn, turn around, Turn around and you become close to God. What is a better word for turning around spiritually? Repent. Repent. Repentance. When you turn from your sin, then intimacy with God grows. And there are areas where he will try to attack us, Satan, that is. And these specific areas will cause us to bounce away from God like magnets that are turned the wrong way. And so God invites us into this kind of relationship to identify those things that are going to turn me around the wrong way so I can't be intimate with God. And so let's look at these things. It's interesting to me that he lists in this list three categories as I see it. There are sexual sins, there are religious sins, and then there are relational sins. Fascinating to me that often when you hear preachers preach, they rail against the sexual immorality of today, and I will list three of them. We get all caught up in materialism, two of them, but you know where most of us battle? It's right here, ten of them. That's the reality. And we sometimes think, you know, boy, I just don't have what it takes. No, the Spirit of God gives you the capacity. Let me just throw in, speaking of my bicycle, let me throw this in, just for your encouragement. A week ago, on a Saturday, I rode up to Cook's Corner. It's about 40 miles. So I love to do that ride. It's so pretty out there at San Diego Canyon Road. So I'm riding from Cook's Corner, and you ride from Cook's Corner, you're going up a hill. It's a pretty significant hill. If you've ever ridden out there, you know that. And so as I'm riding up, there's two guys in front of me. So I'm riding, and I'm riding, and I'm getting closer, and I'm closer, and I finally come alongside these two guys, and I'm like, wow, I'm going to pass these guys. They're younger than me. I'm typically the oldest guy out there on any given day. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> and so I came alongside these two guys. And we, give, you know, we go by some. hey, good morning, how you doing? Yeah, good, great, good. And I just kept on going. So as we got to the top of the hill, these two guys pulled up alongside of me. And he said, hey, it's me again. Oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, great. You know, yeah, it gets harder. The older you get, the harder it is. You know, yeah, I know how that is. And then he said this. He said, you inspired us. Said, you inspired us, in other words, to go faster. And I said to him, You better raise your bar, man. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Well, yeah, we're working on that too. And let me tell you something, and here's my, this is the, my point you might feel inadequate. I have so many battles going on, sinful battles. I've got these things happening in my life, and it's hard, and, uh. well, let me tell you out there when I'm bicycling, I'm probably in the lower third in terms of how fast I go. And so I'm not that good. And when I rode by those guys, and then they later told me, "You inspired us," it reminded me of my own thoughts. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be great. You don't have to have your life all dialed in. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to think, man, I haven't sinned in 10 years. You don't have to be that way. You just have to be a little bit better than someone else and then show them the way. And so I'm inviting you. I'm commissioning you. Do well according to where you're at, and inspire someone to pass you up. Because that's what God invites us into. And so we identify those things where maybe it's holding me back, but I want to inspire someone else to do better. And so he gives us these laundry lists of these sins. And I want to remind you of something a great theologian once said. You never find in sin what you enter sin to find, Because there's some of these sins that you probably has lived in at some point or another, or you know someone that has. And they think, oh, if only I could do that sin, oh, life will be so much more fun and pleasant and enjoyable. Talk to someone who's had much too much alcohol to drink and ask them, well, how was that for you? (laughs) You never find in sin what you enter sin to find. So there are sexual attacks. There's immorality, any kind of sexual relationship that is outside of biblical teaching. There's impurity. That's a broad term for immoral sex in thought, deed, and word. Then there's sensuality. This word sensuality is actually used in 2 Peter 2, 6, and 7, and it's used of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the kind of blatant, flagrant, in-your-face corruption of a shameless, brazen display of sexual sins. Then there are religious attacks. This is sort of a self-effort religion. There's idolatry. Now, we... We, probably none of us have an, like an idol in our home and we worship it in the living room. So I apply it in this way. My idol might be in the garage, I'm not sure. But we replace Christ and his values with materialism and temporal values. That's a kind of idolatry today. And then there is sorcery. This word sorcery, I put the word here, is actually the Greek word pharmakia, pharmacy. In those days, they would use drugs as a spiritual stimulant to make life better. Religious idolatry, think of it this way go back to my motorcycle. Religious idolatry is where you take a motorcycle and you never start it up and you straddle it. You ever tried to walk 900 pounds down the road? It's, it's awful. If you park a motorcycle and you're going uphill and you've got to back it uphill to get out of there, you're in trouble. And some people live their lives and they never turn on the engine and they're trying to straddle the motorcycle and maneuver 900 pounds. That's right, religion without the Spirit of God. It's a burden. And I'm tired of it. I don't need this anymore. I'm just a spiritual person, not a religious person. So please, don't try to live your idolatrous, self-effort materialism because it's like straddling a motorcycle where you never turn it on. And it's a tough way to go down the road. And then he comes to the ten. There's enmities, this hatred towards one another. There's strife. The result of enmities is a quarrelsome and argumentative behavior. This, is, begins, to, this begins to step on some of our toes. Because, you know, the whole sensuality thing, i kind of not into that. But I'll tell you what, and I'm starting to, whoa, Paul, wait a second. You're, you're jealousy, my goodness, Paul. Now you're, now you're really stamping on my foot. It's selfish resentment against another person, it's outburst of anger. These are sometimes consequences of something going on here. There's disputes. It's a self effort to create factions and divisions in the church. Factions and divisions. In my 21 years, I've had to deal with that here at Calvary. Dissensions. When you stand apart, and I'm taking literally what this Greek word means to stand apart from someone else, to move myself from that person to say, I I want nothing to do with you so as to cause division. I withdraw from you. That's unhealthy. That's fleshly. People like that don't go to heaven. That's what Paul said. Factions. This word faction is actually, we get our English word heresy from it. A faction is where I begin to believe something that's not true. It's a rumor. It's a thought. And I express an opinion, not based on fact. And what it does is it causes... It causes this division amongst people. That's deadly in a church. Where I begin to say and do things that aren't based upon truth and biblical truth and edification for others. There's envy, I have displeasure, there's drunkenness. Anything over, so what is drunkenness? In the state of California, if you take more than enough beer or wine or or hard liquor and you're over 0.8, flesh. It's all flesh. You're fleshly. And then carousing is the result of drunkenness. Paul wants us to not be fleshly. So he gives us this warning. He doesn't pull any punches on this. I forewarn you, just as I forewarn you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People who have no opposition, no spirit opposition to this, they're not going to heaven. Because God says there's a reality of this opposition that is going on. But He says, I want you to have hope. So I go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 where He has another laundry list of sins. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? See, no one who has the Spirit of God, no one who is without the Spirit of God will go to heaven. Because they just live in this fleshly sin. And they might have rationalized it and they're enslaved and they're deceived like Titus 3.3. But do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And here is the beautiful thing for all of us. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, made holy, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, not in your own holding your own hands kind of a way. And in the spirit of our God, right there, such were some of you. Maybe such are some of us. And I'm going to invite you to pray about that for just a moment. But one of the realities of being part of a church family is to know that we need one another to grow in this relationship. And one of the privileges that I've had is to work with an elder board that loves Jesus Christ, and loves Calvary Church. And before we go to prayer, I want you to meet some of the men that pray with you and for you every week. So I'm going to invite the elders to come on up here, and before we go to a season of prayer, I'd like for you to know who they are, as we have a new slate of officers that are coming into office this year, and they've been critical for me to understand in terms of accountability, as far as wisdom, their guidance, they come from all walks of life, and I'm thankful for each of them and the role that they have played. And I want you to see who they are. And I'm going to invite them to come down here. And we're going to invite you, if you'd like to have one of them pray over you, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to pray where you sit, you're welcome to do that as well. But we just want to spend a little time in spiritual prayer. So come on up here. Norm, come on up here. Let me, you want to grab that little microphone there. Come on up here, guys. And uh, we're so thankful. If there's room, come on and stand on the platform. We're glad Norm is going to be the new chairman of the board this year. And so thank you, Norm, for stepping into that big role. And uh, big shoes to fill. Dave Herring was there, and he went off on his term. And so we're thankful and looking forward to that. You want to share a few words for us?
1: Sure. Thank you, David. Likewise, it's a privilege to serve with Dave, with all of these men. And um, we take that privilege and that honor very seriously. We serve as elders just as many of you serve. Some of you serve in nursery, parking lot, security, or VBS. Did we mention you can serve in VBS, by the way? I don't know if we pointed that out, but there's still some slots left. We need 12 more adults. Wait, how many elders do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we appreciate that opportunity to serve you in that way, and we very much covet and need your prayers. Uh, we'd love you to pray for us. As as Dave pointed out, we pray for you. We need you to pray for us. Many of you know this, but the way that Calvary is organized by its founders and in its bylaws today, you elect us to serve you to lead the church. As as Pastor Dave says, the church is staff-run on a day-to-day basis. Dave and all the people that work for Calvary run the church. It is elder-led. So we On your behalf, lead the church. So, we need your prayers for us. So, pray for us specifically that we would hear God's voice and we would have the courage to follow it. We appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely.
0: Let me pray these men. We're so thankful for them.
1: It's extra
0: out of their time. They're all volunteers and so grateful that they spend time meeting with us and counseling together, praying together. And they really love you. They love Calvary Church. They want God's very best and God's will. Not always easy. But let's pray that God would continue to work through each of them. Let me pray. God, I thank you for these men. Thank you, Lord, for their dedication to you and their love for you. Thank you for the calling that you have placed upon their lives, first of all, to be your child, to represent you here on earth as a, as a godly man. And thank you, Lord, for the calling you've placed upon them through the affirmation of our congregation that they would be our elders, that they would be men that we can look to for spiritual leadership, for accountability, for prayerfulness, for guidance and wisdom in where we go as a church, to keep all of us on staff accountable to you, to watch over us, that we would serve you well. So I pray, God, that you would empower them. And, Lord, as they step into positions of leadership, we know that they become a bigger target for the enemy. And these fleshly deeds we've just talked about are areas of attacks that will come our way. So God, help us to address those by the power of your Spirit, not the power of our own strength. God, help us to hold your hand in the midst of it all, that your strength be all that we need to guide us and direct us and help these men, bless them and their families for the cause of Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. All right. Thank you. Let's thank for the men. Thank you. Uh, the elders are going to come down here and they just take a seat here in the front row somewhere and I'd like for us to go through a point of prayer as we worship together as well. As you look over the list in Galatians 5:16 through uh, 21, you find these fleshly desires, these areas of opposition. The battle may be going on in your heart and you need someone to pray for you. They would love to pray with you. You're certainly welcome to stay where you're seated and pray there. But let's spend some time just praying together and helping us to encounter the living Savior, Jesus Christ, and the strength that He wants to give to us by His Holy Spirit. To help us set up this time of praying together to more visually see the power of the cross, to take the flesh away and replace it with the power of the Spirit, here's a video, and then we'll go into a time of worship and prayer.
2: Now every one of us knows that there's something wrong inside. We have a tendency within us that disturbs us. We long for victory over sin, sins of thought and word and deed. And the Bible reveals that we are born radically wrong. We are members of a human race that has turned its back upon God. There's something inside that makes it easier to go wrong than to go right. And some deep evil seems to sap the human race. There's a bias in the bowl that takes it off course. There's a gravity that pulls us down when we want to rise high in spiritual attainment. And the secret is that something within us has died. The spiritual part of our being that God gave us has died because of sin. This is the reason why we can neither see nor enter the kingdom of heaven, unless there is a radical change. And here is a great revelation from Holy Scripture, and we also know it in our own experience, that we cannot make this radical change ourselves, that God says you must have, you must know, you must experience, if you are ever to see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Why the cross? Because on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was made sin for you. He bore your sin, sir, in his body on the tree. He was the only man who ever went through hell on earth. And he did it for you, to cleanse you from the stain of sin, to deliver you from the power of sin, to clear you from the penalty of sin, so that there could be nothing between you and God. Christ Jesus bore your sin in his body on the tree. So, ladies and gentlemen, we come to this great conclusion tonight. That I to do something about it, we are sunk, and there is no hope of us ever entering or seeing the kingdom of heaven. But here is the Christian gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the good news, that God loves us. Because he loves us, he's willing, he's yearning to undertake this great change for us, only we are willing. And because Christ has died and risen again, I have wonderful news for you here tonight. Hundreds of you here yearn to know what it is to be in the kingdom of God. Hundreds of you want to know the victory that God gives to those that belong to Christ. If you will repent, believe, and confess, God will do the rest. He will come into your cleansed being that he now possesses, and he will live his life in you. He will give you eternal life, divine life. Right now you will enter the kingdom of heaven, and you will live in the kingdom of heaven whilst you're on earth. And when death comes, it won't be death. You'll be with Christ and you'll go into the glories of eternal heaven. That is what God will do for you tonight if you will repent and believe and confess it.